Hi, on Sagittarian Matters, advice on comedy, productivity, dating, and more with my guest, Hannah Gadsby. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the Gatsby is an Australian comedian who likes to, quote, take a story of woe from her actual factual life and make it hilarious. Her award-winning stand-up special, Nanette, is coming to Netflix June 19th. If you like intelligent humor weaving in gender, trauma, feminism, and more, then I highly recommend you download it as soon as you are able. Run, don't walk, to download Nanette. Hannah Gadsby joined me in a birdsong-filled backyard to answer questions producer Ponyo and I received at Dyke Day. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Hannah Gadsby. Hannah Gadsby, welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Thank you. I'm not Sagittarian. Does this matter? No. <laughs> What is your sign? <laughs> Capricorn. Oh my God, really? Yes. I've sh- certainly have already had this conversation, but I have a Capricorn moon and rising, and so I feel very receptive to Capricorns being on the podcast. Feel. Yeah. I mean, it's just called Sagittarian Matters because I'm a Sagittarius, and it's... It matters. It's just things that are, you know, at the top of my mind. What's What matters right now? Yeah. We were... Ans- Before I talk to you about who you are, we were answering a question... And then we'll insert the question here. My name is the plus-size Jewish Casanova. And uh, my question is, uh, basically, I met a woman at Dinah Shore, and she was amazing. But she lives in Illinois. She's getting out of a relationship, a divorce. And I just want to know, like, should I enjoy the fruits of my labor at Dyke Day, or should I wait until she comes and visits me and save myself for her? Because goddamn, is she hot. And how long would you be saving yourself for? About a week. She's coming next week. (laughs) And I mean that in more ways than one. And you are a Gemini. I am a Gemini. I'm a Gemini and a Jew. I have a very nice smile. I have nice light eyes. I'm a teacher with a 401k. And what are you looking for in life? I would like morning coffee and a woman to have babies with. Uh, I'd like to read the paper with them. We better have the Sunday paper every morning. Bagels and schmear. Are Every morning, a bagel and a schmear? Bagel and a schmear. Bagel and a schmear. Okay. Every single but day, vegan, vegan cream cheese, though. Vegan cream cheese. Oh, my God. They have to be vegan. Really speaking my language here. Yeah. Wow. A okay. vegan bagel and a schmear. Uh, do you want people to find you somehow? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Um, so I have an Instagram uh, that is filled with me and my teacher trauma, because I am a teacher. Uh, it's Kramer Kram 17 Kramer is in K-R-A-M-E-R. K-R-A-M-E-1-7. All right. Thank you for your question. Uh, Nicole, you are the smartest girl. So many questions on that, though. Fruits of your labor on dark day. Like, it's it's labor-intensive dark day. I'm just <laughs> wandering around trying not to get burnt in the sun. But I believe you gave advice. I did give advice to her, but I didn't record it. No, but you basically, your advice would be just wait. What's wrong with you? And mine's like, yes, it's the same if it was me, but... I'm not the sort of person who goes, well, there's a week to wait. I could probably fit a few women in in the week. Like, that just sounds exhausting. Like, 
to, to fruits of labors, one calls it, or picking up the ladies, or pick, you know, like that to me is not something I could probably cram into a week, even just a, like a, a an extended conversation, let alone as I keep doing, which is just <laughs> offensive. But um, so I mean, I would if it was me, I'd say absolutely not. Just wait, call your beans, have a drink, everything's fine. <laughs> Think about the very, very hot hot person that you're you're very interested in, but. I'm not someone who walks around thinking, oh, I can, I can squeeze some extracurricular activity ladies in. So I'm, I would say, well, if you think you can do it, then go for it. But I just don't think I like you. Like you sound, if some that confident, <laughs> ift, just. I told her to. I said, there, I, I was like, is there anything time sensitive happening here? Like people you're never going to see again that you actually have in the hand, bird in the hand? And she said, no. And I said, well, just I think there's no rush. I think you can just wait. This honestly it, sounds like someone with a commitment issue yeah. in and of itself. So this is a red flag for the other woman, like coming to visit in a week. Well, you know, it's interesting. I cut this part of the thing off when I played it for you, but she said that all she's looking for is someone to have her babies and eat bagels with her on Sunday mornings and read the newspaper. So she's got one Sunday left (laughs) to dabble. Yes. (laughs) Oh, no. How can someone say, I want someone forever for such a relaxing life and then go, I need to cram in a lot of... Like, that just seems like perhaps they're not ready for settling down. She she asked me how she could find her one, and I, I said, maybe your picker's bent... Because they're out. She's like, is no one out there? No one exists. I was like, they are. They do exist. But I think that, yeah, you're right. That kind of energy she's putting out, the kind of like Casanova energy is not. She's already panicking. (laughs) And she's coming to visit and she's panicking. Well, I'm going to lock them down in a week. I need to spread my wild oats, destroy the fruit. Not destroy it. What's something? Labor fruits? Enjoy. Um, (laughs) I'm a wordsmith. And so it's like this panic. It's just really unreasonable if your life partner is settling, <laughs> moving in next week before the first date even. Like, there's some mixed-up attitude going on there. There is some mixed-up attitude going on yeah. there. Hannah. Yeah. Who are you? Oh, this is not advice. I mean, I'll do, a, I'll do a bio for you, but who are you? I mean, that's such a large question. Um, I guess, well, I'm Hannah Gadsby. Yes. I'm from Australia. I'm a stand-up comedian. Um, I do stand-up comedy. <laughs> um, I, I hail from a place called Tasmania, which is distinct from Australia. It's still part of the country that is Australia. It is not Austria, and Tasmania is not Tanzania. Um, I studied art history mm-hmm. and didn't do so well, but I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, and I worked on farms. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a cinema projectionist, uh, I, and then I just entered a comedy competition and, and kind of won it and just kept doing it. So just um, just a charmed existence. But uh, any other questions? A comedian's life is known as, is known as a charmed existence. Producer Ponyo is uh, walking around in some dry leaves out there. Yeah. Let's hope she doesn't get bitten by a spider. Can I tell you, I am recently – I've done a lot of storytelling – competitions and shows but i've recently started doing stand-up producer ponyo you just got heckled i'm getting heckled right now and i take it personally hey ponyo come here producer ponyo's upset because she's never been able to come 
But I find it is so nerve-wracking. Do you have any advice for me as a... So you're doing, like, five-minute spots or yes. open, open mic? Yes. Where? My friends Michelle T. and Ali Liebegott have an open mic night called Clown Town. Mm-hmm. It's a no-bro zone. Oh, so it's all, like, okay. women and queer people that are supportive. I do well, I think. But... Um, I find it's harrowing because when I am funny during a storytelling thing or a reading, people are delighted and surprised. But during stand-up comedy, I feel like they show up being like, you better be funny. Yeah. Okay. So my my advice wouldn't be for you. It would be for the form. I think stand-up is a fundamentally flawed art form. Okay. Because it's basically the reason to speak is to make people laugh, whereas I think laughing is not the framework. I think stories should always be the framework because then... You're, people are interested in stories. Jokes are a, a dead end. So it's a sort of like, you know, I always tell stories. Like in my stand-up, it's always storytelling. Because what's the point of talking? And people get bored with jokes unless you're yelling, and I'm not into that. But this sounds like this room's very lovely and supportive. I, I, I got my comedy chops doing the, you know, pubs and clubs and that sort of stuff. So... Um, so I got really good at being mean on stage, but it just felt awful. And the interesting thing I find about stand-up comedy, which I think is also a flawed aspect of the, the, the art form, is that it's competitive. I think it's strange when you're backstage and you're competing with your fellow performers where you... I think what's wrong with sharing an audience and thinking you're a team and creating show, but it's a very competitive art form in that sense and I think that's because it grew up in a time you know post 50s and it was a competitive art form because it had to compete with sex basically so burlesque shows there's comedy performed in between burlesque and then there was what's the other one that they roasts comedy roasts Mm -hmm. and they're just basically homophobia and misogyny all wrapped up in your mama jokes and so that's how that's the birth of stand-up comedy and so that comes from a really competitive set-up punch, set-up punch um, sort of place. So I don't think stand-up comedy... I think stand-up comedy is going to shift through that. I think I can see changes to that all around. So I, my advice would be not to worry too much about stand-up comedy as, a, as something, a pure idea. I think bringing storytelling chops into a comedy situation. I think it's much easier to be an authentic voice when you're a storyteller because story is how we hang our notion of self. Mm-hmm. Did I get too serious too quick then? No, I'm glad you did because I want to segue to something from your show, Nanette, which is you were talking, and this is something we've talked about on the podcast before, um, a lot of self-deprecation in art, um, in, in comics, which I'm involved in, uh, self-deprecation is the name of the game, but it's the name of the game that particularly is is good for straight white guys to be like, oh, I'm not that great. Oh, this comic isn't that good. Or to be self-deprecating about their work and the quality of their work. But it, it doesn't translate so well to otherized people or people that already have the world kind of stepping on them. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't know quite what you mean there because I think it doesn't work for these straight white guys. I just want to go pull up your socks, get over yourself. You're fine. Life is tough for everybody. Take a sideways glance, step up. Um, I've never had much patience for that. But self-deprecation is, a, I think, in an equal world, the best form. Like, I, I think I think in order to communicate, you don't want to be putting yourself above others. 
like a high status in comedy doesn't it works uh but i don't think it works as far as connection i think it's a blindfold i think it's a, a steamroller of you know if you're sh- just shouting at people going this is how it is but self-loathing is a troubling expression so there's a fine line in a world like this self-deprecation unless you're a straight white man is you know is self-defeating to a certain point my my personal journey is it gave me a voice i had to you know to I would say, when I first started, I would say all the things that I knew people were thinking. So, and I would diffuse those. But I, so I was a fat, depressed lesbian from Tasmania. And Tasmania's a joke. We're just inbred, backward people. Deep south of Australia, if you will. So, I, but I didn't stand up to all those stereotypes that go around being, you know, you know, Fat, a fat woman on stage. Generally, you make fun of you. You know, oh, I just forget to stop eating. And, and uh, you know, lesbians were, were were miserable and angry, and Tasmanians were stupid. And I'm a very quiet, sensitive, cerebral person, but I would deal out all those jokes. But in the delivery, you can there's always subversion that can go on. But I think unless you're telling a story that takes away those things at the same time it's very hard to undo them and you find yourself repeating these things that hurt so a lot of my jokes particularly about my body I don't make jokes about my body anymore um like uh so I've got really big hips and I used to have all these jokes like oh you know I've got a classic hourglass figure but only 10 minutes left like funny good good very good very good joke but basically these are things the things that people would say to me in order to let me know I was less than or, you know, had no right to exist. So in more aggressive times, it's like, you're so fat and ugly, you're worthless. And I found myself after a few years doing it, I'm going, I'm just repeating this. And even though I'm owning the words, it's still the same story. So stop, I don't speak about my body anymore on stage. Um, People still let me know where it goes wrong. Still, a, still give me a bit of feedback. That uh, on the street. Oh, on the street. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Social media really gives people access, um, uh, and I. So, I think there's a, there's a very difficult. But I think that's across all areas, like all areas of culture and etc. You know, and women are on the back foot because we've still got that pervasive idea that if you you hustle or you're confident, then this is somehow. Uh, a negative mm-hmm. um, whereas like you know that you, you absolutely have to in order to achieve any kind of success you have to do it so then you have to pretend that you're not doing it and that's a lot that's old that business is old like that goes back to you know the vanities you know you've got to look beautiful for men to look at but you can't be vain right and so you have to secretly just be beautiful so you have to do all the all the uh the grooming without appearing self-obsessed um so that's the same i think that comes from the same same area so it's just a lot of hypocrisy that i think is impossible it's an impossible tightrope yeah um so i think being disruptive is hard when you're first starting out and finding your voice Mm -hmm. like if you're being disruptive when you first start no one's going to listen to you going, come on, come on, settle down. Because you also don't have the skills when you first start. It takes a long time to do, like it's nerve-wracking 
finding those, uh, you know, your rhythm, your voices, how you how you are on a comedy stage. But the, my advice would be to know, be aware of these things, find your voice without being too disruptive um, because you need to gain people's trusts. And that's what I've done. Now I'm destroying destroying it. I've taken a... I've got inside and I've got a sledgehammer and I'm knocking down the walls. You're dismantling it. I really am. I really am. I'm not doing a very careful job about it either. I'm really tearing the house down. So, you know, hopefully that might help a bit. But also the comedy voices are quite... Like, even in the ten or so years that I've been performing, it was really a straight man world and it's not that anymore. And I think that comes from... A lot of access to comedy it was on the uh, on in, on the internet, on new platforms, and people are creating their own content and audience approving to the gatekeepers that actually yes, people want to hear diverse voices. So I think I think the seemingly impossible uh, things that I faced are no longer they're not po- impossible. So, and I think the dismantling is going to be kind of fun. So I think you'll find. Yeah, but if it's not reflected in the broader world, it's still difficult. My friends, would you like to make vegan cheese like a pro? Try a new urban cheese craft vegan cheese mix at home and you can. It's available in 10 varieties, including mozzarella, feta, and spicy nacho. They're allergy-friendly because you get to choose your base of nuts, seeds, veggies, or white beans. Solid wheels take 30 minutes and melty sauces just 15. You can find the mixes and fun how-to videos at urbancheesecraft.com. And this just in. Listeners of Sagittarian Matters receive 20% off with code SAYCHEESEPONYO. That's P-O-N-Y-O. And more breaking news. This just in. Claudia from Urban Cheesecraft's new book, one Hour Dairy-Free Cheese is available right now for pre-ordering at Powell's.com. So go to UrbanCheeseCraft.com, get 20% off with the code SAYCHEESEPANYO. So people are going to see your Netflix special, and when they watch it, I want them to understand that you almost died or had brain damage very recently. Yeah. And so they should be extra grateful, I think. As I am. Yeah. As I am. I think I've gone through a change. Like, I think I was a fairly sort of... I think I've become more upbeat since this happened. So I was in New York staying in a, in a you know, walk-up apartment, old apartment. I'm writing a book at the moment. So I was doing the show at night and just taking it very easy because it's a kind of... It was a full-on show. And so I was doing it every night. And then... And I came from over from the UK where I did a month there and I got, had bronchitis there. So I was kind of still recovering from that. So I wasn't great... So I'm writing my book by day and then mooching around and then going to do this show. And f- over the course of six weeks, I began to sleep more and more and get t- more tired. And I kept t- ringing my manager in Australia going, I'm, I'm really tired, like I'm 14 hours sleep. So I'm, and I wouldn't d- describe it as sleep. I'd say, coma. I think it's closer to a coma. And I get up, have a coffee and then have to have a nap. That level of exhaustion. <laughs> not not so far from my own life. And and I was and I was grey, like my pallor was grey. And I thought because I've been on tour f- with the show for fourteen to sixteen months, it was definitely not fifteen. And <laughs> it's like, of course, oh well, this is show's exhausting. And I was really believing that when I stop doing it, I'm going to need at least you know two to three months of 
R&R to recover. I was th- I felt. But then it started to push over into... I had the I had tremors and I was slurring my words and I began to trip a little, like just stumble. And I began to look up neurological disorders, which I have one anyway, but, um, you know, from, you know, like Parkinson's and, and I was doing all this and I, I was so scared. And people go, you're just tired, the show's exhausting. Push it out, you know. Make hay while the sun shines. I mean, because, you know, I was doing an off-Broadway run in... New York and it was selling out and we're extending the season. This is the stuff dreams are made of. And I'm like going, I think I don't think I can do it. I'm a bit tired. <laughs> and I was sending like coffin emojis to friends and going very sleepy. And then I spent one night away from the apartment and was fine. Like skipping. And I'm like, well then, whatever I had is gone. And I went back to the apartment. And then it came back immediately. And that's when it sort of what little brain cells I had left in my head put the slowly, sluggishly put the pieces together. That the apartment was haunted. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so then it, was, it turned out the, the gas oven, was, there's was a leak at the back of that somewhere or something. And, and How did you figure, you figured out it was the apartment? Well, and then Googling things, and that had come up, but I didn't think because I didn't think, because I couldn't think. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those things, you know, when you're Googling symptoms, everything comes up. I once had a stomach complaint and I diagnosed you know did too much googling and self-diagnosed with hypochondria because apparently when you have um, <laughs> these troubling you know undiagnosable stomach issues it's, it's hypochondria so oh, I must have a hypochondria turned out I had uh, um, appendicitis so so oh. you know like it was a recurring issue once I self-diagnosed as I became an oncologist at home and I was pretty sure I had uterine cancer yeah, straight straight to straight that. Straight to the big C, straight yeah. to the big C. Um, <laughs> it wasn't true. Yeah, I tend to do it the other way around where I play things down and then it turns out oh, it's okay. like, oh, that's that's life-threatening. You should probably, like, you know. But I thought when I had, and then when I had appendicitis, I honestly thought that I had just gas. Oh, my gosh. Because it was here. So actually, I'd been to Disneyland or World, I don't know, one's In bigger. California? Yeah, Land. Yeah. And I, because I'd have taken a liking to the black beans you have, you surf yeah. up around the town for breakfast. And yeah. I had three days of that and I thought, oh, now I've got wind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a bit windy around here. Yeah. And you know, they can't tell until they open you up. Really? Yeah. So if it's appendicitis you, or just gas? Yeah. You go to sleep going, I could wake up humiliated. Like you're hoping that you've got. <laughs> there, I see you. <laughs> yeah. They just wake up and go, whoa, there's a whoo, a lot uncleared yeah. in there. Sorry, sorry Miss Gadsby, you just had a quite a lot of uh, blocked air in there and we've let that out. <laughs> but it was appendicitis? Appendicitis. You got your appendix out? Mm. I flew home because I honestly... But this is what I mean. I'm lucky I didn't blow up on the plane because I'm going, it's just it's got gas or hypochondria. Um, I'll be right. And flew home and then... Which is probably better to go back to Australia with how healthcare is pretty cool. Yeah, but pretty long flight. Yeah, dangerous. Dangerous, dangerous. I'm flying, playing with fire. And, I, yeah, I was in the... So I recovered very quickly. I'm sure I lost a few brain cells, but thinking, I think, really throws a spanner into enjoying life anyway. So you had carbon monoxide poisoning. Mm. Slow leak. But now you're okay. Yeah, it clears up once you get a bit of oxygen. Great. Yeah, it's well, a good news story. Thank goodness. Well, let's do some advice questions. Yeah. I also want you to know, side note, I was watching your comedy videos yesterday, and one of them, you were talking about getting stuck on a water slide. <laughs> and I really enjoyed it, and I really I want people to look at that. Um, yeah, I have more. I'll tell you more about that later. Okay, 
Are you ready for some questions? We have to do rapid fire advice. It's your first response. These are all questions I got from Dyke Day LA. How to conquer, dear Nicole and Diana, dear Sagittarius Matters, how to conquer fear of judgmental queers in your art? Um, I think it's, I don't think you need the word queers there. I think judge, judgment is, you know, there's a fear of judgment. And that comes from within. You cannot control how people feel about your work. Um, I have a two-pronged approach to that. Mm-hmm. I give myself a day to be upset, mm-hmm. and then I must move on. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to be. Like, it's no use. Because you pour your heart and soul into your work. People are going to judge. It's going to hurt. Don't. Don't beat you up. There's no point getting upset that you're upset. Of course you're upset. But also, you know, I think there's a point where there's a fine line because I think where judgment and if it hurts, then that's something to think about. It can put fire in your belly, but you have to be careful so it doesn't become toxic. So you have to... It really is learning to really think about your work and not how people receive it. Mm-hmm. But people are going to receive it and that is how your work exists in the receiving of it. So there is a conversation that needs to be have, be had between it, but you have to really interrogate from the work out, not mm-hmm. the judgment in. Mm. I think you can't be everything, you can't be all things to all people. Nice. And your, yeah, your work needs to exist whether people like it or not. It's nice to take feedback that's helpful, but... I just, if people don't like me, it's, I just feel like it's none of my business. People that are talking shit about me behind my back, well, they're not my friends or people who are important to me, probably. People, yeah, are, people talk shit to my face and I miss it. So, you know, like, uh, I mean, uh, I think you, you really have to chase ideas, chase ideas and chase your creativity. But it's also, you can do that to a point of arrogance as well. But you just, people get angry about creativity because everyone, you know, especially in the world of comedy, everyone's funny. So they get really angry at people who are su- successful at comedy because they go, I'm funny, I know how to be funny. And so you get a lot of... The more hostility, the easier it is because it gets it gets saturation point. And you're just like, why are you upset? What is wrong with you? Have a cup of tea, calm down. We'll all be dead eventually. Like, 50 years, most of us, yeah. gone. If Let's... you don't like my art, just turn the station. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm like, just my books aren't for you. That's Okay. Yeah, it's, yeah, and I think it's also getting ridiculous because it's. I think there was a time when there's a lot of gatekeepers, so letting only very few amount of people in to sort of publish, to perform. But now, you know, there's so many avenues to to get yourself published or seen or build your own audience. It's like if you're bitter enough to be critical without being constructive, there's something wrong with you step up, find a way around. Like, there are ways around. If you think you're funnier than me, go ahead. Chances are you are. Like, go- I don't know why I'm, this is all working out for me. But just go ahead and do the same things I did and we'll have the same thing and you can beat me in a funniness competition. Like, you know, yeah. Okay, wait. How do you manage... Dear Sagittarian Matters... Dear Sagittarian Matters, how do you manage keeping romance when you are working with your partner? Uh, I guess I've been on tour with partners before and I just, I am more of a Capricorn about this. I might be like, there's time for work and then there's time for not work. So I'm just like, when we're working, when we're on tour, when we're scheduling, when we're driving, we're doing the event, that's that. And then 
you know, and then we have dates. We have special days, special dates, times carved out that are our own. Do you know, people find it hard to keep romance alive when they're not working together. So I think it's like, I think the most important question is, how do you keep romance alive? And we'll work backwards from there. Okay. And, you know, like, I mean, I... I mean, I'm assuming you know how to keep romance or at least put it into a position of existing. What parts of that? Like, just look at the mechanics of your romance. I mean, I'm sounding so unromantic, so I guess it's a wrong question for me. I'm on, I'm on the... It's a good Capricorn question. I'm on the <laughs> autism spectrum. I'm just going about this clinically. It's like... I know. This is what we need. What is romance to you? Right? Create some space around it. Choose wisely. Treat kindly. Be kind to your partner. Uh, remember to have sex with them. And uh, do sweet things for them. And just give them personal time that's not where you go, don't talk about business at all. Yeah, don't be needy. Don't be needy. Oofed. Don't. Don't. You know what? They, they'll, they'll come. If you need something, say it. But don't. don't you know what I'm Yeah. Yeah. Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on the limb here and just don't. go, don't ask silly questions. Like, you what can, the, what? That's a, que- that's a silly, silly question. question. Do you know, like, if you're worried about working with your partner, don't work with your partner. Dear Hannah and Nicole, <laughs> how do I create new experiences without past experiences tainting the possibility? I think this fashion head injury, <laughs> carbon monoxide. Anyone? <laughs> yeah, that really drew a line under my past. Look, I, I, this is interesting because I have done something kind of in, extraordinary with my show, Nanette, because I talk a lot about trauma in yeah. in the show, and it's kind of full on. And performing it night after night in front of rooms full of strangers has meant that, you know, I'm reliving trauma. And that is kind of a brutal thing to do. And it did, it, it take, took a toll, like, an ex, you know, all sorts of things. And I, I was going through these really kind of, you know, incredible grief process on stage. Like, sometimes, you know, I'd, I'd be almost crying thinking about, you know, my past. Um, and so I guess in a sense that was, you know, I was creating a new experience with past trauma, really definitely sitting in the middle of it. But through that, um, I found that there's been some kind of catharsis with that. And it's about how to find, I think, the the way trauma works, that's... You don't get to dig it out on your own. You actually need to find... This is a significant trauma as well. It's like you have to find a, a place for it without it being a running narrative, mm. you know, so it doesn't keep... It's not a continuum. It sits and it's there and it, it, it has happened, but you need to find that sort of place for it to, to exist without it bleeding. And that's no small thing. I don't know what that is. But, um, you know, every day is a new day is a good one. Mm-hmm. Every day is a new day. Mm-hmm. And if you find that your past is, uh, is, is giving your present a nudge, have a nap. Really good. And some tea oh, when you wake up from your nap. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. <laughs> and I will tell you more off mic about how the, when I toured for Calling Dr. Laura, which I'm about to give you, cool. it was essentially performing my family trauma every night, every day. But for me... The production of the book, which took years and years and years, um, that was my way of working through it in slow motion. And so then there was kind of a weird disconnect for me of performing it 
every day later. Today's episode of Sagittarian Matters brought to you by Urban Cheesecraft, Mary Pinson, Shoshana Ruth Wechter, and Christy Harrod. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, including producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $10, $500, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet, like the insect, leg, like its appendage, at gmail. When does, dear Hannah Nicole, when does sexy, crazy behavior turn into a toxic relationship? When you start hating each other. All right. (laughs) Um, Sexy, crazy? I don't know what that, I mean, like, there's a limerence phase where I think you're in love jail and, like, everything's on high. Limerence is, like, the the mental love love jail. Or it's like, you know, it's jail. like love jail is like an, an island on which yeah. you, it's hard to return phone calls to your friends. Like everything is about that. You're spinning. You're kind of high. The love drug is pumping through your system in a really intense way. And maybe a lot of other things aren't making sense to you because you're just yeah. focused on that. And then that that has to dissipate at some point yeah. or you're in la-la land and you're not able to see the person for who they actually are. Yeah. When the love chemicals are like knocked up to 10. Um, so, but I don't know about the crazy behavior. If it feels crazy, it probably is. And yeah. then that might mean it's toxic. If it's making you feel bad in other yeah, if it's, you parts of your life. Yeah, if you start to feel awful, that's toxic, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I don't bloody know. I don't know. Okay. Dear... Sagittarian matters. A lot of self-care talk is around money and buying things, treating yourself in a capitalist way. How can one do self-care without buying a bunch of stuff? Take a nap. Take a nap. Naps are free. Yeah, I do Tai Chi. That's also... Ooh. Yeah. You, you do, it, do it anyway. You don't need a gym. Yeah. You don't even need to move fast. I'm a real fan. I like that. Mm. I, yeah, nap. I think that we can come together on napping. Mm, I feel like we're both in body a sloth. I'm like, oh, I love sloth. I'm like, just relax for a second. Just relax. I'd be, I'd be fine if, if you know, um, moss decided to take up residence. Like, if I move that slow, was that yeah. chilled like a, mo- a, a sloth is? Do you know that I have a character in a project called Sloth Moss? No. I, I think that you might like it. Yeah, it I'm like just going to say you might like it. Okay, dear Sagittarius Matters. Oh, I, I, I thought of this because I, I had Carolyn Paquita on the show, who is like a, you know, a, a witch of my people. And she was talking, we went to the candle store and we kind of were talking about the weird capitalism around like modern witchcraft and self-care and people being like, I have to buy a candle. I have to buy these crystals. I have to do have these objects that I purchase and bring home so that I can focus my intentions for self-care. But, you know... You can just have those intentions and write it on a piece of paper. You could have those intentions and put those good intentions into a rock you find on the ground. You don't have to buy a thing. thing. I mean, honestly, the same thing happened with running, with shoes. Mm-hmm. Like that, that, you know, we, we develop industries around yeah. nothingness. Yeah. So, so you yeah. can go for a walk. You can do Tai Chi. You can meditate without an app. Yeah. An app's helpful, but, you know, there's some free ones. Um, yeah. I'm a big fan of not moving. <laughs> I mean, I take a nap every day of my life. Sometimes I'll wake up so I can take another. Really? Mm-hmm. I get excited for a nap because it means when I wake up, it's the day part two. It's the next. I get two days out of every day. Oh, yeah. And I'm a morning person, so having a nap in the afternoon means I get to be a morning person twice. Yes. Well, I wake up and I have sugar and I have coffee, 
And it's like a new day. Dear Sagittarian Matters, how do I hustle for creative work when my instinct is to watch TV starting at noon and go to bed at 9 p.m.? Hashtag help. Um, I think the problem, you know what the problem is there. You're lazy. So you're, if your instinct is to do, like that's everybody's instinct is to do nothing. We've created a very unnatural world where doing stuff is supposed to be important. Um, so how do you hustle? You hustle. You know what to do. Like go against your instinct and hustle or don't. Yeah. But it seems like they were at Dyke Day when they wrote that. You hustled yourself out the door. Use that same hustle to go and hustle. What is hustling? What's hustling? Yeah, really. I don't, really, I don't think I know. It's like um, promoting yourself, trying to get jobs, making connections, showing people your work. Putting your work out there, sending it to people, posting it, keeping the the zeitgeist or keeping the momentum around your work. Look, I'd keep hustling. I'd give yourself schedule your hustling. Keep it to a minimum. Like give yourself. I work in twenty minute blocks. Oh, that's my trick. Um, and it, if I set a little timer, um, and whatever I'm doing, I do for twenty minutes. And then if I'm just in the flow, I set it for another 20 and keep going. If I'm not in the flow, then I set a 20-minute timer for procrastination. But I don't watch TV. TV's not... That's a, well, I mean, I watch it, but it's like I'm watching a program that I really want to watch. I don't sit down. When I first started touring comedy, I made a very conscious decision, and I think it was a really, really great one. And, you know, when I made it, it was casual, but I really believe it now. I don't watch television in hotel rooms like mm. at all. I don't switch that shit on. Because it's, you know, it is a real real drain so i don't I'm, i don't really watch tv unless i really want to watch the, the the story or the program that i want to watch um so that's a great thing but yeah set your heart yeah put a time very small achievable time 20 minutes is great 15 20 minutes and go i'm going to hustle for this amount of time because often it's the idea of doing it all in one chunk and you really just got to make a start the start is the bit that's so hard so just make the start an achievable block of time 20 minute hustle i like that 20 minute hustle you, you can write a book i really don't have time <laughs> got a nap can i ask you how long do you nap i for as long as needs usually a half an hour 45 minutes is oh. is good i always nap for 20 minutes yeah because i never want to get into that sleep inertia zone so i feel like 20 minutes well, or an hour and a half well, to me, I reckon I'm asleep for 20 minutes, but I'm down for 40. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, you've got to mm-hmm. create some space around it. I don't want to hurry out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do I, stare at my phone for a good 20 minutes before I fall asleep. I don't have no phones. I love that. I'm in the quest to get an alarm clock with so I don't have to touch my phone before I go to bed to set a timer. Yeah, I've got a bit of that business. We'll, we'll be talking about this off pod. Um, I think, how do you hustle for creative work? I th- something I want this person to remember is, you know, what def- what action are you going to do that defines you as an artist that day? Because it seems like this person doesn't want their identity to be a TV watcher. They want their identity to be around their creative work. And so what action are you going to take that's going to d- define that, that day? So, like, my like my productivity coach, Alec, will be like, okay, you know, what is the thing that's going to define you as a cartoonist today? I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to ink for 20 minutes or I'm going to sketch some. I'm going to write for myself for 20 minutes. Whether anything happens with it, I'm going to feel like a cartoonist at the end of the day if I do 20 minutes of cartooning today. I think there's also a really helpful framework to uh, really invest in quality procrastination. 
So um, when I'm writing a new project, I garden. Like, and I really, and I create a project that has nothing to do that I'm really excited about, but generally uses the hands. So I, I also do a bit of, um, like, uh, uh, I'm learning how to do icon painting. Oh. And, and, and wood carving and little, little projects use the hand. I'm no good at any of these things. I'm gardening, I'm all right at, you know, but, um, just do those things with, so using your hands actually helps a creative, and procrastination, letting it sit, letting it brew often, particularly with writing, your brain does a lot when you don't know what's happening, like when you're not actively engaged. This is well known. So I, a really great way to be creative is to give uh, respect to your, to your procrastination. So that means do something worthwhile with your procrastination mm-hmm. um, and set boundaries around the procrastination time I find really helpful. I like that. I feel like things like that, if you keep your mind in that space, like my mind can stay in the weird, spooky writer space if I'm doing something with my hands, like, or even just doing dishes, spacing out anything besides taking a new information from Twitter or like. And it's to do with letting the time just be elastic. So don't set like, I want to achieve a thing. So it's the sort of thing that's, you know, lovely waste of time, but you're being active. So being on your phone, going on the internet, any of those things, no good. It's about use for me, and I think it's. I think there's some good evidence to suggest that using your hands and being active is great for creativity. So, I think you know, and that way when you're because what that I found for me is that reduces the guilt aspect of not doing yeah. your creative thing because often it makes your creativity, or you know. I feel like I'm a lot more productive when, yeah. I, when I waste time in a more productive way. I like the idea. I like. I really want to get an egg timer and start doing all these things around my house. Oh, really great. I've got ones with a magnet. Mm. So you take them and you just stick them anywhere you like. Oh, I have one on my fridge. Yeah. You can stick it on other things. Dear Sagittarius Matters, what is your opinion of the dairy industry? I think it's the cow version of A Handmaid's Tale. I think it's horrible, and I think that there's no reason for me to be... I wouldn't suck the teat of a cow, so what business have I drinking the teat of the cow? Golly. Um, am I, do I, is there a place for me in the answer? Please. Look, I'm from a dairy, farm, dairy farming ca- country. I, uh, I've worked on dairy farms. And it's very rewarding work. You get up with the cows and they know their way, they know when they've got to walk and it's actually really lovely, you know, getting in the rhythm of the day. You get up, crack of dawn. I used to work at a farm, yeah. by the way. Yeah, yeah. But it, it was a farm for rescued factory farm animals. Okie dokie. But it was different, but similar. Yeah. I mean, I was still waking up at the crack of dawn hanging out with them. I think there's just, you know, there's, there's deep, deeply problematic thing with intensive farming. I think that that I have huge issues with. Um, like I think there's just I think we've gone so far away from. We don't know what is food. I'm lactose intolerant, so obviously I don't have an invested interest in the survival of the dairy industry. But I think farming is incredibly important to. Like I think it's a great and it's a great existence for a lot of people but intensive farming is destructive like factory farming yeah it yeah. really is and it's destructive to not just the animals that we're abusing if i may but also to the land and the crops we're losing bees you know we've really got to be, we've got to get a handle on this shit and the 
I mean, the the workers. I mean, there's so many undocumented people in factory farming, but then and then there are no regulations. Oh, and yeah. if I got caught up in that in Australia, I was I was um, planting trees and drifting about and got caught up in this sort of racket of these ex-cons getting. Yeah, it's kind of a gruesome time of my life, and and you know, earning so little money, I was basically homeless. So you're in this cycle. Um, and for various reasons, there's a lot of other issues going on there. But, yeah, it is, it's just really fraught. Dear Sagittarian Matters, my crush watches my Instagram stories but doesn't text back. What should I do? Oh, my God, this is called somebody – I saw somebody on Twitter called this – I don't know if it's called a – it's not called a poltergeist or what it's called because it's somebody who's simultaneously ghosting you but also they're, they're still around – I've had people do this before where people who are not, they will not text me back. They are no longer my friend, but I see that they watch every single story I do. It's some kind of, it's called haunting, I think. Yeah, that's weird. It's weird. But also, you have to wonder why you're clocking that. Like, you need to dig out the crush. Like, you, you need to not be affected by that. I think is the ultimate, and it's no easy thing. It's not like I know how to do it. Every time it happens, you have to learn how to undo somebody's hold on you. Like if they're doing that, they're not. It's not good. Like, and if, if it's affecting you, it's not good. If someone's not texting you back, one of my friends once said, "Anything that's not a yes is a no." So if this person, if you're texting them and they don't feel encouraged to text you back then that's just not the person for you. In my opinion, anyone that's leaving you with that yearning feeling of what's happening, what's happening, it's probably not, it's not, it doesn't, that doesn't sound easy. That's not an easy feeling. That's not like a naturally, naturally we're on the same page and we like each other, so we write each other back. Yeah. I, um, I struggle with communication. Like I get really overwhelmed really quickly. And so I disappoint a lot of people and they get really angry with me. And I sort of think, I'm not for you. Like, if you need constant repartee in the textual department, I, when you know, when I'm with you, I am 100% with you and I'm, you know, but I travel a lot as well and all that's still my lifestyle. Um, so, you know, it's like if, you, if you're angry at somebody, for, they're not for you, they're not treating you well. And it's not personal either. It's just like life's, things happen. You've all got to get on with it. This so, is yeah. the way they are. This is the way you are. Is yeah. this a match? That's yeah. all that dating is for. It's and not an easy undo. It's not an easy undo. I'm not saying that, like, get over it in a second. But it's really worth investing in getting over it. Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing, dog? Ponyo is rubbing her body against your leg because she wants me to take this harness off. Oh, right. She's tired of wearing harness. Okay, we have one more question, then you have to go. Yeah. We got to get out of I here. I enjoyed this very much. Me too. Good. Okay. Dear. I wonder that I'm dull on these things because I get very serious. No, no. And people go, you're a comedian. And I'm, I think I'm a fake. Comedians are the darkest people that are around. Yeah. Um, dear Sagittarian Matters, my partner and I have been together for eight months and just graduated from the same grad program. We make similar work. We are applying to and being offered the exact same residencies, exhibitions, jobs, etc. That's nice. <laughs> How can we support each other when one gets an opportunity both of us want it? Any tips for existing in the same field, but also having parts of the relationship separate from our work? Thanks. Again, same things. Jealousy comes from within. Jealousy is, that's your issue. If you're jealous of your partner, that is an issue that only you can 
You have to get a handle on jealousy. Jealousy is a wasted emotion. And if you can't be happy for your partner, that's an issue. Also, but I mean, it's not like I said, it's not an easy turn either. It's just like, perhaps take yourself. <laughs> um, Panyo is bringing us pieces of sighting from this unfinished cabin that we're in because she wants us to throw it for her. Or pieces of, I don't know, what do you call this that goes along the edge of the ground? A bit of trim. A bit of trim. Um, Hannah Gatsby, thank you for being on Sagittarian Matters. Absolute pleasure. I hope I've helped people. <laughs> please tell me, when does your Netflix special drop? Dropping. It's dropping on June 19. 1919. June 19th. Yes, 19th. Of 1999? Of 2018? Yeah, that's okay, the one. Great. I got so confused there. Did you see me panic? <laughs> <laughs> the carbon monoxide is really showing. <laughs> okay, thank you for being on the show, and uh, I hope everyone downloads Nanette on Netflix. And this too. I hope everyone downloads Sagittarius. Matters. Is it Aryan or Aries? Sagittarian. Okay. Matters. Cool. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Panyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.